Hello everyone and welcome to this next chat in the podcast series from the Designers Institute of New Zealand. My name is Naomi Rashma, I'm an architect and I'm here today with the lovely Sebastian Negri, spatial designer extraordinaire. We've teamed up over the last five years at DesignWorks and we have recently started working independently. Our guests today are Matt Johnson and Graham Thorne of local family business Italian Stone. Matt is a third generation stone merchant, having followed his father and grandfather into the family business. And Graham, we understand, is something of a stone guru, known around the world for his vast knowledge and passion for all things stone. So welcome and hello, Matt and Graham. Thank you very much. Nice to be here. Excellent. So um, first up today, Matt, can we, let's talk family. We'd love to hear how you got into the world of stone and um, that we hear you pretty much spent your childhood growing up here in the yard. Yeah, well, my, my great-great-grandfather came to New Zealand from Italy after the Napier earthquakes to essentially rebuild the city in Terrazzo and flow on from my grandfather then got into the stone industry with my father. And then nine years ago, I decided to jump ship and join this wonderful industry. Awesome. Was it something that me, myself, like you, we have Italian heritage and normally you have this paramount idea of you have to follow the steps of your family and <laughs> you need to be on the same trade or did you grow up with that pressure of like growing between the stone slabs around you and just walking around the yard? No, not at all. I, um, I do remember as a kid sort of running around here through the stone yard, but when I left school, joined the police, I was in the police for eight years and then... After that, I thought it was a good time to come and learn what my father did. Very interesting. That's <laughs> how I became here. So, can you tell us a bit about your heritage? Because we understand that your grandmother is Italian. Yes, my yes. grand, my, my mother's side is Italian, yes. and my father's side is Samoan. So it's a different mix. Yes. Different sort of two different cultures which have come together. And the Italian side, obviously, is, is the, the stone side. Yes, interesting. I'm coming from a different country where stone is mainly available. My, my, on my mother's side, they came actually to work on an onyx quarry in a small town in the middle of Argentina. And how I found when I moved into New Zealand that basically this country is made of timber. And how, what's the story of stone here in New Zealand and how actually the year it was brought from Europe. I think you can trace that back to uh, very early, very early times when sailing ships used to come here. And believe it or not, they brought stone from England as ballast in, in the in the base of the ships to you know to assist them in stability for their trek here. And some old, some of the very old buildings, and I think that probably includes the War Memorial Museum, the Auckland War Memorial Museum has some of that sandstone that was bought from England as ballast and they took meat and other products back obviously to um, to England which put the weight back into the ship so amongst the early people who arrived there would be a mix of stonemasons because it was a trade a big trade back in the day of building cathedrals and uh, stone buildings and and invariably some of those Stonemasons arrived on our shores and started building. It's fantastic. I, it has it happened exactly the same back home, where 
was just to give some weight to the boat and mm. and it was coming back full of gold really? and silver. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah interesting. <laughs> we just walk around your yard here and for us designers, this is like coming more to not a construction supply store. Actually, it's more about coming to an art gallery. Do you feel the same? I uh, feel very much that stone is a thing of great beauty and there is such a, an extraordinary range of colours and textures available in the stone that they can be treated as works of art. And in fact, we have installed pieces of stone in people's homes as a work of art, just a, a simple slab with polished edges mounted on the wall because it speaks of, uh, of I don't know, the, the, a piece of art. It's nature. It's God's creation. So, yes, it's a, it's a wonderful industry to be in. We're very, we feel privileged. It's very hard. It's a hard industry, but it, uh, we're privileged to be in it. For us designers, we, I always have this idea that we sort of tell a story with, I don't know, eight, ten materials when we're designing our spaces. It doesn't matter if it's commercial or residential. And the stone, it's always that one of the biggest chapters because mm. in an ideal world, you try to get your client to choose that stone in the beginning of the process and you, and then you, it's one of the items that it's installed at the very end because yes. even with the painters are the last one to be in the place and mm. the teams. Do you try to convince the designers to come here with their being then the clients or being sometimes the third party, the, the end clients? Uh, do you try to get them here to, to the place? I think it's very important that the end user is part of the final decision. Not forgetting that architects do have a wonderful vision for what they want to create. And I, for one, use an architect to design, despite the fact I live in a design world, I use an architect to design work for myself because they have a vision that even I can't have, despite visiting many places around the world and seeing many things. So I think that while the end user is an important part of that jigsaw puzzle, the final decision uh, is theirs and the architect is there to guide and push. Yes. <laughs> There's always an idea that stone is related to a lot of dollar signs. Doing the experience sometimes end up being the same prices. That don't, I don't like to call them fake products, but quartz space products that they actually they're good materials but they will never have this aspect of the one-off how do you approach the, the decision or how you convince the client to to go for that is it more about the architect or do you have some parts on that convincing the client to to go for it well that's a very tricky question because stone is is unique yes and some stone is is very cheap by comparison to Quartz. Some stone is very expensive by comparison to quartz, and that's because unique stones like precious jewels cost more. You can you can find rare stones, and the rarer the stone, the more expensive it is. So, Graham, how do you go about finding a new product? We hear that you're pretty well recognised walking around the international fairs and um, that you've developed quite a status. So uh, we, we wondered how you, um, do you go to particular fairs to find particular stone or how do you go about it? 
yeah, historically, there's been one major fair in the world for stone, and that has been at Verona in Italy. Over the last 10 years, a secondary stone fair in Xiamen in China has uh, garnered the world's attention because of the sheer volume. A lot of the suppliers travel there. And so in the 30-odd years that I've been in the industry, um, I've been to Verona many times, and we've collected a range of suppliers from many, many countries who specialise in particular types of stone, whether it's Dura limestone or travertine or Italian marbles, Turkish limestones, Portuguese limestones. And we've made friends and almost family out of many of these suppliers, mm -hmm. people that we trust, people that know we pay our bills, and therefore they want to give us good quality because they know that we're repeat customers, we're not fly-by-nighters, we're not here for a short time, we're here for a long time. And we are interested in the product that they sell. When I normally come to people like you, are you able to explain the provenance or the origins of the stone or each piece that you're trying to sell? Are people interested into, into that? Some are, some aren't. And certainly we love to hear and, and find people who are passionate about the product that they want to use and want to know about it, want to know its history, where it's from, what family supply lines it, it came through, because some of the companies we deal with have been in the industry of supplying stone for hundreds of years. I think particularly of our Italian travertine supplier, Pascucci, an amazing family with incredible photos on the wall of his office of his great-grandfather, you know, sharing a cigarette with workers in a, in a very old quarry. It's amazing to see. It's always uh, one of the biggest challenges for us designers is that we normally get a beautiful sample that is probably 100 by 200 mils piece. And then when we arrive to, to here and we just found that, oh, this has nothing to do with it. Like, okay, we have to deal with nature here. And how, how hard is it to explain that to the clients? Like, um, this is not mm -hmm. quite like what you've seen. <laughs> that is the problem with nature. And small samples are very difficult to tell the story of the stone. And that's another reason why we welcome people to come here and physically see the larger piece, because you cannot, from a small piece, um, imagine what the overall impact is going to be. And, and it is important to see the, the full thing. For a piece of quartz, the color is the same throughout engineered stone, it's, it's plain. For natural stone, there are foibles. Beautiful natural veins, bents, patterns. It's important to visit and see. I always encourage my clients to come over. We had this situation last year that actually I sign off one piece and Essentially, the next batch, I say, no, this is the next, the other mm -hmm. face of the mountain, and now it's not grey anymore. Now it's green. Oh, interesting. <laughs> yes, this, this, we need to change all the paint colours. This can <laughs> this can happen, and prices can vary. In my lifetime, I've seen the price of Carrara marble probably go up two hundred times. You know, because there is a de demand being generated out of the Middle East and Russia and China for white marble of a very high quality, statuario, calicata, 
these particular grades of marble and it's it's pushed the price and the world market dramatically high 800 euro a square meter for us to buy we cannot dream of landing that here and having to sell it for five thousand or four thousand or even three thousand dollars a square meter it's it's absurd well that's that's quite intimidating <laughs> yeah it is <laughs> And makes it difficult for us, particularly in that white marble market. Mm. Yeah, we always, at least with this European conception, that it will be the best material you can have on your uh, kitchen bench stove or in your kitchen island if you're lucky and enough to have a space for a kitchen island. And it was always on the on the bucket list for when you grow up and you go to uni and they teach you about all these materials that basically you put in your bucket list. Cara marble. Yeah. And and at the time. A teacher told us that actually it was the, we were in the middle of the 9-11 situation in New York. And actually explained, yeah, they, they actually, they are the owners of most of the Karan marble in, in the world. Yes, the Bin Laden uh, construction group did buy a, a large uh, holding in the Karara Mountains. There's no doubt about that. And I suspect they possibly are still there, but they're not a major, necessarily a major player. I probably should add that we, when it comes to Carrara, we are a little bit courageous and we go to Italy and we go to the blockyards and rather than just buying a few slabs of a colour because we like it and pay a lot of money, we will buy a whole block and take the risk on that block and have it cut into slabs, polished and sent out here. That's a, that is a big risk because you don't know what's inside the, inside the block, but if you can inspect all four or five sides that you can see, you have a better chance and that's that's the beauty of visiting the actual blockyard itself in Carrara and meeting with the, the blockyard owners and they show you the good ones because they they love us you know we they know we're Kiwis they know the All Blacks they like they like the fact that we've come a long way to visit them and so they they do show us the good blocks and they know that we're prepared to take a risk and, and buy a whole block and have it cut up. And that could be $120,000, $150,000 for us, just for, a, just for a whole block to have it cut and polished. And it's a big risk because you end up with, you know, three or 400 square meters of, of one particular type of marble that you have to eke out over a period of time and find people who, are, who want to, to clad bathrooms and not just the odd bench top. <laughs> Matt, can I just ask you, sure. um, you mentioned that you had seen um, a bit of a shift over the last decade of perhaps a move from more commercial to residential within the industry. Is, can you tell us a bit about that? That's probably a good one for Graham to uh, answer. <laughs> a move from the, the balance between commercial, commercial and residential in the business. That comes and goes. Mm. It's a, it is a tricky one because I've been here through, or been in the stone industry through financial crashes and changes in the market. And I remember when many years ago when we were building the National Bank on Queen Street, as it was back in those days, and the market crashed, that was probably 87, and the building had to be complete. And mm. so there was an ongoing cash flow for the completion of that building, but then nothing. The domestic market over the years has definitely grown and I'm fair to say, isn't it, Matt, the courts or engineered stone, Caesar stone, 
has uh, helped that market because from my perspective, courts is the new formica. You know, there was a time when all the benches in, in every home in New Zealand after the, the original terrazzo that Matt's grandfathers did, because the <laughs> state houses had terrazzo benches, and then it went to formica, and now I'd say 90% of homes that are constructed by your average home builder would have a quartz bench in them. And so it's become the new formica, and that has helped the industry remarkably because it pushes people to a solid surface, and and the next step up is natural stone. Along all these years, do you have a particular favorite chow when you're walking around the city and say, okay, I work on that project, and that's a good one? Or <laughs> home. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, look, there's many, many big buildings in Queen Street that we've been involved in and, and in the Britomart area. In fact, we're doing a boutique hotel in the Britomart area at the moment, the corner of Galway Street. And that'll be, that'll be a special place. We did the, I suppose it's the Westpac or Ernst Young Centre in, uh, yeah, in Britomart. And that was a very big job. We ended up having to do at the same time as the Auckland Art Gallery. And so we were pushed beyond... Uh, to do two major projects at the same time. And the Auckland Art Gallery would be, of course, our, mm. our flagship project because it's a piece of art in itself. And we contributed to the building of that piece of art, buying unique stones and, and working very closely with the architects to make sure we had it 100% right. And yeah, just touching on that, it's, for me, it's a, the Auckland Art Gallery is a pretty special project. I wasn't personally involved with it, but to have a building in New Zealand, which won International Building of the Year mm -hmm. in 2008, for a New Zealand company to be such a big part of that, it's something I'm pretty chuffed about. It's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's an amazing achievement, mm -hmm. quite special. I probably spent at least 15 minutes going up the stairs at the Oakland Gallery and taking pictures actually of the little pieces of clamshells, yeah, all the fossils there, basically, yes. basically they just... At the time, I didn't have such a big capacity on my phone, and probably <laughs> I took videos of this, sent to all my friends saying, hey guys, look what I found here. It's pretty special. All the way from southern Germany to Auckland Art Gallery. <laughs> yes, well, I mean, and that's a classic case. The Jura uh, quarry that we deal with in, uh, in Germany, and which is the, all that flooring in the Auckland Art Gallery, we came, I came across Andreas, I was introduced to him probably 20 years ago now, um, and it's a very small, it was a very small quarry in southern Germany, but they were the quarriers, you know, they cut the stone out of the mountain themselves and then processed it into slabs within the quarry. And we've had that relationship all of these years and we're dealing right at the very source and that's typical of I guess the context that we've built over the years that we can go right to the very source where the price is the best, but we also get well looked after because we've done, we've had a, a relationship over many years and we've done many projects, whether it be travertine or Turkish limestone or Portuguese or, or the Jura from Germany. Can I ask you um, about exploring the texture of stone? Um, just walking around, um, we can see that there's obviously a vast technology and, and range of machinery here. And what what sort of uh, what do you look for? And um, how do you, as far as the actual finishing texture, you know, we've obviously got our flame and, and um, leather, but is there sort of a, a, a 
opportunity that you see with new finishes? Yeah, look, I, I love stone that has texture. This adds a different element to the design. Uh, it brings something else into the design that would typically not be there. Mm. So plain textures on you know, facades and front panels and kitchen islands, it just adds something different, which you generally wouldn't see. We've got the ability to finish products and different textures here, which is, we always try and push different materials to have different texture. This is something different. Yeah, texture, texturing of stone is something that's grown over the years, probably over the last 10 or 15 years in particular. Um, historically, you had honed or polished, um, then they introduced flamed on the granites, and leathering has become a quite a new and different technology, and it reacts differently on different stones. So harder stones are difficult to leather and won't carve out, but softer stones you can create beautiful, beautiful texture. Now, can I ask about your own home? I see that you have a busy household with three daughters and, uh, and, <laughs> um, and a, a fabulous um, home uh, in the West. Yep. Tell us, is it full of stone? <laughs> oh, look, there's, there's, uh, there's a bit of stone in there. When we were building it and designing it, we were very careful that sometimes you can put too much stone. So you have to have that nice balance of different fabrics, you know, timbers, stones. Mm -hmm. So we put some stone in there, there's some different surfaced materials. Um, we just wanted to, in some areas, push the boundaries um, and explore different areas that we, we could do we can. Um, I think that's it, right? When, when it's your own place, yep. you sort of, that's the time to experiment and try things out rather than on your own. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yep, but like that. That's right. Yeah. yeah. And Graham, you've yeah. done that your own beautiful place? Absolutely. Um, we had some a container arrive of of broken travertine and that only very very occasionally happens probably probably four times in in 20 odd years that container will have had a collision somewhere along the way broken travertine what do you do with it so i stripped it up into random lengths by various course heights just all the offcuts all the broken pieces and um and used it myself and it's it's worked fantastically but it takes vision because you can't show somebody a pile of broken travertine and say, we can make your house look beautiful out of that. <laughs> Going now to the current affairs, uh, now with COVID, we had this sort of movement and something that I've been partial to advocating for, support local as much as you can and understanding the complexities of how you normally push that with a price push that you get on the on the negotiation with your clients or you are constrained by budgets how this support local could be applied here to uh, to stone because new zealand there's no many new zealand stones as far as i'm aware no there's very few uh, new zealand stones in fact timaru bluestone omaru yeah limestone tikawiti limestone but that's hardly used for construction or hinawera Yes, so there is not a lot of local stone. For us, I, I honestly believe the, the buy local, it's not going to be because we're local, it's going to be because people can't travel and they're going to look at their home and say, right, we can't travel, we've got to live in this house, let's do it up, let's do something, let's make something special. And I think we'll see that being worked out over the next year that we will end up with more business because 
people want to do something about their house. And look, we're here, we're not here to, um, we've never been here, and I could use the words rape and pillage, but I shouldn't use the words rape and pillage, <laughs> because we're here to sell our, to sell a beautiful product and to get it out there. And we're not here to make a huge amount of money. We're here to stay in business. That's, that's, that's uh, the first thing uh, that we've got to be conscious of in pricing. We've got to be. We've got to make sure we get it right. We don't want to lose money on any project. We want to. We want to be here for the long term. We've seen stone companies come and go in the last years uh, because they get it wrong, and we want to be able to offer a, a, a beautiful product at a reasonable price. That's uh, that's quite compelling, and that's the beautiful thing about dealing with a family company. I guess that mm. I I was saying on. Previous conversations uh, with you is that actually family businesses are endangered species, and that's uh, important when you're dealing with a company. They are not going away. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, they'll be there next year once the house is finished or once the project is ready to have the stone. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> and the company is still there. And family businesses that um, have future generations coming through are, are really important because that that shows a commitment, um, which is which is something we have. We're in the process of negotiating the purchase of a new soaring plant for our business. And, and you know, it's over half a million dollars worth of commitment at a time when we don't know what the construction future in New Zealand is all about. You know, we, we don't know whether there'll be new commercial buildings being built in the next five years here. We don't know whether there'll be new hotels. We've already had one that I worked on a lot over the COVID lockdown has been completely shelved. And so we are making a commitment to our future by uh, investing in the latest technology, which will give us, you know, the best precision in cutting. And that, that shows that we're here for the long term. Awesome. I'm, I'm going to finish up with a question on the future. Tell me, um, Matt, we briefly touched on uh, forecasts and, and, and I hate to use the word trends, but um, where you think things might be going. And you mentioned that you, you often look to Melbourne. Yeah, I personally think the New Zealand market follows the Melbourne design and trend market. And I, generally, I think we're about six months to a year behind them. It's always good to see what's happening in Melbourne. Um, in terms of materials, different finishes. I often follow a couple of different stone companies on Instagram and Facebook to see what they're currently doing and the material that they're bringing out. Uh, so it's interesting to see what it is, but Graham might be able to add on this. I think trying to forecast in this business, yeah. it goes up, it's down, materials change month to month. It's one of the hardest things. It is, and, and honestly speaking, we, we would be offered a new and different coloured stone, I would say on average every day or every second day, we would get emails from around the world being offered on materials we've never seen before. It's extraordinary and sometimes we'll just go bang, 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 no, 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 but occasionally something will say, wow, that's special. Let's, let's look at this and see if we're, we can include it in a future container to have always something special in our range that um, is, is unique. Mm. Are the trends? No, no trends. <laughs> it's just no. hard. <laughs> yeah.
Well, look, thank you both so much for sharing um, your passion, obvious passion, and um, stories today. Uh, it was amazing to chat. We uh, so a huge thank you from the seminar. Thank you. And to our listeners, um, thank you for listening to the Designers Institute of New Zealand podcast today. Keep an eye out for the next episode. We would love for you to share on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, where you can tag the Designers Institute. If you feel really generous, give us a rating on iTunes. It really helps with getting the podcast out to new listeners. Thank you.